0: Um, This week, I'm going to be um, focusing on uh, women, mothers. Uh, Next week will be fathers. So if you're interested in uh, finding out what the Bible has to say to you as fathers, please show up next week. We do have a word from the Lord about fathers. Uh, But since it is Mother's Day, our focus today will be on women. We're going to be coming from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, We do have a few verses to read this morning. We'll be from 3 through 15. But before we do, let us pray. Most gracious and all wise, God, the preaching hour has arrived, O oh God, and we are so grateful to be standing in this sacred place to be able to declare your word to your people. So, Father, if you would allow me to decrease and you increase that, you might be magnified and glorified in this atmosphere. And Holy Ghost, if you would just come in and just move from heart to heart and breast to breast this morning to be gloried and honored uh, through worship and praise this morning, Father, you are welcome. And so, Father, if you would just add another continual blessing on these mothers, you already have by the fact that they woke up this morning, O oh God, but if you would continue to smile on them for the rest of the day, we would be so grateful. And, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are found pleasing in thy sight, O oh my Lord, my strength and redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, the scriptures read, This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Pehenna, his wife, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year after year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, and therefore she wept and did not eat. Elkanah, her husband, said to Hannah, Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the law. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the afflictions of your maidservant and remember me, and forget not your maidservant, but will But we'll give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all of the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened that she continued praying before the Lord. Eli watched her mouth. Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved. But her heart was, I mean, what her voice was not heard, therefore Eli, Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I I have neither drank wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I've come but to pour out my soul before the Lord. I'm going to talk, teach, and preach from the big ideal, the sorrow of a woman. The sorrow of a woman. And so as we come this Mother's Day, and you can't be help, you can't help but be mindful of mothers and um, their contributions to the family. And in thinking about mothers and the way that mothers love is um, something extraordinary and powerful. It is said about a mother's love that is the closest thing to God's love. That mothers, when things happen, particularly in their families, have the tendency to internalize things and to hold on to the events that are taking place in a family. Uh, they handle things much differently than we as men do. We as men are quicker to discard situations and people and things and move on with our lives. Mothers uh, don't give up. Mothers don't quit. Uh, mothers fight when it comes to their children and their families. Um, And so uh, we're going to see what the Bible tells us, particularly as women, uh, how to overcome sorrow and moments of grief in our life. So why do we suffer? Is suffering in our life always a consequence of our personal sin? Does it automatically mean that God is displeased with us? Is it because we're not spiritual enough? We find ourselves asking God questions sometimes. Why does it seem like that my children always go astray? Why is my marriage disintegrating? Why does tragedy always seem to hit my family, my life? I'm sure we've asked God questions like this and others at different points in our life. I want to talk about this morning, for me, in my opinion, one of the worst types of suffering. I call it domestic suffering. It's the suffering that a woman experiences, particularly, as I said earlier, when tragedy hits her family, it can affect her in a terribly personal way. It can begin to affect her self-image, her self-esteem, her sense of worth, and it's happening all over our country. It makes mothers ask the question sometimes, is suffering ever God's perfect will for us? What does he accomplish through suffering that can't be done another way? Or when we suffer, or when we're suffering, do we turn away from God or do we turn to God? Grief and sorrow are emotions common to the human experience. The process of grief is throughout the biblical narrative. There are multiple biblical characters who have experienced deep loss, sadness, and grief in the Bible, Job and Naomi and David and even Jesus himself mourn, and we're gonna talk about Hannah as we move forward this morning. One of the steps of grief is having the right perspective on it. First of all, we're to recognize that grief is a natural process and response to grief to pain, loss, and pain, and suffering. And there's nothing at all wrong with grieving. Second, we are to know that grief and sorrow can serve a purpose in our life. We're reminded in Ecclesiastics chapter three, verses one and four, for everything there is a season, a time, for every activity under heaven. We're reminded in the scriptures that there's a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. The third thing that we're to remember, that the feelings of grief are temporary. The Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. There is an end to mourning. There's an end to grief and sorrow, and it has its purpose, but it also has its limits. And so as we look at these verses this morning, we can understand that sorrow and grief and disappointments in our life can be opportunity to refresh our perspective on life. We'll find out that through it all, God is faithful. And there are scriptures that remind us over and over again about the faithfulness of God in times of moments and sorrow, because the Bible says that he's with us even though we walk through the valley in the shadow of death. God is with us. David says in the Scriptures, in Psalms, about moments of sorrow David would pray, and he says in the 56th chapter and the 8th verse of Song, he says this about God. He says this, you keep track of all of my sorrow. You collect every one of my tears. And you put them in a bottle. And then he says, then you record in a book what each one of those tears represent. See, God enters into our sorrow and our grief. And at the same time, he reassures us that not all is lost. We are reminded in Psalms, the 46th uh, chapter, in the 10th verse, it reminds us to be still and to rest in the knowledge that He is God, it is an important part of overcoming grief, is expressing it to God. God understands us. He wants to commune with us. He wants us to open up our minds and our hearts to the truth that He is love, that He is faithful that he is control, in control and that he knows what you are going through and he knows what to do to make it work out for our good. God is faithful. God is love. When we are grieving, we tend to shut ourselves off from others. We seem to find isolation in our misery. As we look at our text today, I want to give context to the Scripture text because it's always important whenever you're sharing the Word of God. This particular family that we'll be looking at today in the text is a Levitical family that lived in Ephraim. It's important for us to understand because a Levitical family was a family that when a a male child was born into, he was born into the priesthood. He had an opportunity to be a priest. And so when Joshua had moved the people into the land of milk and honey, he had set up the tabernacle there at Shiloh. And so Israelite men and their families would travel to the tabernacle uh, three times a year, and oftentimes they walked over 15 miles, which was a good day's journey. They would go there for the purpose of making a sacrifice to God. And so here it is in the text that we have this godly man and his two wives. Polygamy is tolerated in the Old Testament, but it is never displayed in the New Testament without its accompanying headaches and problems. God has always intended from the beginning that a man is supposed to be the husband of but one wife. And this scripture verse will support that. We're going to be looking at specifically Hannah. Hannah's name means grace or favor. The things about Hannah that caused her great suffering was the fact that she could not have children, that she was barren. And in the culture of that time, that was a devastating thing for a woman. Because God had promised when they would move into the land of milk and honey that they would prosper there and that they would have children. And when a woman was unable to have a a child, she was considered cursed. And so here it is. Not having a child for a woman in that time was something that the neighbors would whisper about. They would say something's obviously wrong with her because she uh, can't have children, so she must be a sinner. It meant that it would affect her personal worth. Because her personal worth in those times depended so much on her ability to give her husband children. And she was unable to to operate as a woman. She felt diminished because her body didn't function in that way. And, And so, so many women today have reasons to feel diminished for one reason or another. I'm not tall enough. I'm not thin enough. I didn't grow up on the right sides of the track. My family is having and experiencing difficulties, and that affects a woman in a very personal way. Am I right, women? Hello. Is the mic on? Is that right, women? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. There is a pulse in the house. And so here it is. We're looking at Hannah. And there are many women in the Bible who experience suffering in the same way that Hannah did. It affected their entire being. It affected every relationship they had. Hannah is really one of the most poignant characters in the Bible. Hannah, because of her barren condition, was a source of humiliation and shame for her. And her husband's other wife didn't make things any better. Better because she taunted her mercilessly. And so here it is that year after year, that would be three times of year, the Israelites' families would travel up to the temple of Shalom and make sacrifices there to God. And it was probably during the times of the Feast of the Tabernacles where it was a fellowship offering or a peace offering they would offer to God. And a family would take a sheep, a lamb, or a goat or something like that. They would divide it in, in, in half, and the priest to the priest would go the breast and the white thigh and the fat to be burnt on the altar to God. But the rest of the meat would go to the family. It was like God was saying, have fellowship, have a party on me. And so the family would then divide the meat up. And it was customary that the oldest son in the family would receive a double portion of meat. But in this case, Elkanah, the husband, gives the double portion of meat to Hannah. And he shares meat with his other wife and her sons and her daughters. But he gives special attention to Hannah by giving her this extra gift. It really was to suggest that even though you don't have any sons, even though you don't have any children or any ability to have children, I love you. How cool is that? Especially in those days, it was unusual to show a woman preference who was in a state of being barren, but he really loved her. But as I looked at the text and as I thought about how Elkanah was operating in the text, I said, man, how much is it acting just like a man that his wife, his woman, was in a place of distress, of sorrow, and pain. And a lot of it came from his other wife as she taunted her mercilessly. And so here it is that Aunt Hannah is already feeling bad enough. She's in a place of sorrow and despair. And wouldn't you know it, that it is her enemy that continues to taunt her when she's in that state. Listen, the devil always comes to us in times of sorrow and grief and he whispers in your ear you never will be good enough. That's his job. And so here it is Hannah's enemy is whispering to her he might have been giving you things but you can't give him children. And so Here it is that because her husband gives her this gift, that he thought somehow it was supposed to make up for her pain. So we find out in the scriptures that her husband said something to Hannah. See, to all outside people, This looked like a happy family, because after all, they would go up and worship at the tabernacle three times a year. See, they came to church Sunday after Sunday. So, for all outside appearances, this looked like a godly home, but there was trouble on the inside. And so her husband thought the way that I could mitigate the damages in my home, if that I would provide my wife with some extra gifts. I I bought you the house you wanted. The Lexus you you asked for is sitting in the driveway. We take great vacations year after year. So I can't really understand what your problem is. That's what's happening in the text. Watch this. Her husband would ask her four questions. He would ask Hannah, "Why are you crying? Why are you not eating? Why are you so downhearted?" And when I got to the fourth question, brother, I found out he really already knew the problem, because he says, "This ain't not better than ten sons." In other words, isn't this lifestyle that I am providing for you isn't enough to take away whatever's bothering you? See, listen, I just stopped by this morning to share with you brothers. Listen, sometime as husbands, we will never be able to understand the depths and the sorrow of our wife's pain that she's going through. That no matter how many gifts we give her, how many times we try to uh, persuade her pain and sorrow, we can never match up to God. We can never compare to the love and the goodness of God. He is the only one who is able to meet every need that we have. Can I get an amen? And so here it is. I wanted to share uh, this morning, um, sisters, mothers, that um, it's really unfair to think that your husband is supposed to supply all of your needs. It's really unfair that when you want to share a story with him in all of your great detail, and then you just happen to look up at him and you're not listening to me at all. And you find him staring at the ball game on television. And, and, and we, I ain't the only one I know, we say, no, 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 I'm listening, I, I, I got every point. Can I finish watching the ball game? And so, here's his wife in sorrow and emotional distress, and there's no emotional support available for her inside the house. And to make it all worse, whose fault is the whole thing? If we look in the text, it's God. It says it twice in the text that it is the Lord who closed the womb. It's God's fault. There's no second cause or reason that God has allowed her suffering for some folk that's hard to take. See, we had a tendency to think, well, it must have somehow slipped God's mind and got by. But God directly allowed her to suffer in this way. And guess what? It's for us to learn something. And we're going to learn it prayerfully. So here it is. Hannah is in a situation that she has no control over, no victory in. Anybody ever been there? And God has allowed this thing to happen and she is powerless in her own strength to change it. Why does God bring us to that place? What do we do, John, when we're in a situation that is so tough and and we have to handle it? You know what we do? We handle it but we try to handle it in our own power and strength. And we fail because we never call upon God. So when we call upon God out of our desperate situation and all of our human resources are gone and God has allowed it to happen and we come to the end of our rope and we're hanging on with everything we got in, you know what you find at the end of that rope? God, he is there. And he wants to love you and support you through it all. Watch Hannah in the text. She comes to a decision. She says to herself, is this situation gonna be forever? Am I just gonna look at Behemoth having child after child and me having none? Am I to be satisfied in that? Or was she going to make an all-out commitment to God and go for broke? She had come to the end of her resources. And so she comes before the law. And about time we get to verse 11 in the text, she goes down to the tabernacle, to the church house. And she makes it to the metaphoric altar of God. And as she begins to pour herself out to God. The, the, the pastor, the preacher, Eli is sitting inside the doorway and he can observe her. He can see her. And she's waving her hands to the heavens and her mouth is moving but no words are coming out of her mouth. They're in her heart. And he observes her as she waves her hand to the heavens. She bends over in pain and agony because of her situation. She finds herself down on her knees crying out to God. Meanwhile, the preacher who is watching her starts to make some assessments about her condition. And so he comes out of the church and he says to Hannah, How dare you come here drunk? Put away your wine. And Hannah looks at Eli and she says this. She says, no, my Lord, I'm not drunk. I haven't drank any wine. She says, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. And I've come to the house of God to pour my heart out before him. I am sharing with God the abundance of my complaint and grief that I have never spoken to anybody until now. See, y'all gonna miss it. She came to the church house. And she needed God. And the pastor who was watching her didn't say, how can we be of some assistance? The leadership team didn't come and huddle around as she prayed. See, she was at a point, she had no pastoral support. She had no spiritual support on this side. This was between her and God. and she didn't care what you thought about it. See, sometime in our life, our situations get so tough, our grief gets so deep that sometimes we need to come and get ugly before the Lord and make our apologies later. Because we need to get real with God. And so here's Hannah pouring out her heart to God. And what I loved about the prayer that Hannah is saying and listen, the reason she is mouthing the words and not saying the words, because in those times, if your husband heard you make a vow to God as a woman, he had to write within 24 hours to make it nullify. And she wasn't going to jeopardize that. So she was mouthing the words, but she was praying in her heart. And what I loved about her prayer, this wasn't a bless everybody prayer. This wasn't bless my mother, bless my father. No, this was me, me, O oh Lord, who was standing in the need of prayer. And so she comes before the Lord with an honest and an open heart. And she says this phrase, and I want you guys to understand what this phrase meant. She said and cried out to the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of heaven's armies. This expression was seldom used in the Bible. You won't find it in the first five books in the Bible. You won't find Joseph using this word. You won't find judges using this word. It's rarely used in the psalm, but what it said, it was speaking to God as the help and the comforter to Israel and was saying to God, Lord of hosts, is in my time of distress and failure, will you come and help me? And so here's Hannah in a time of distress and failure, and she cries out to the Lord of hosts. And she says to him in the prayer, she says, will you remember me? Remember in the context of the text says this, would you do something about my misery? God, will you help me? Not only hear me, but help me and do something about my misery. And then she got specific with God and said, could you give me a son? And she said, if you make that and you honor that request, Lord, I'll be sure to give him back to you. And that he will serve you the rest of his life. Listen, that's the most important thing that happens in this text. Stay with me. So, when she says, listen, Lord if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. She was saying, listen, Lord, I understand that I'm being talked about, I'm being criticized, I'm being tormented by Pahenna in my house. And that's a horrible situation. But the things that she was talking about really comes out of human pride. It's understated, but it's there. See, we often come to God and want to be, what I almost vindicated as a good believer or a good Christian. And and we, you know, we, we, Lord, could you help my son for what? Lord, I don't want to lose my mama to what end. See, we need to be like Hannah and like Jesus, that our Lord wants you to rescue my son because then he will give you glory and honor the rest of the days on life, on earth. I need you to keep mama so mama can stand up and be a testimony to glorify God. Listen, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm in John chapter 17, verse 4, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying to God and he says this, I have brought you glory on earth, By completing the work that you have given me to do, I have glorified you. And so what Hannah was saying, I'm not coming for selfish reasons anymore. I understand, oh God, that if you move in this condition, it has to be that you might receive the glory in my life. Glory to God simply means let God be revealed in and out of your life. So here it is. After the man of God hears that, he says to Hannah, go in peace and may God of Israel bless you and honor your petition. And so Hannah leaves the house of God, different from which she came. And what's so interesting about that, Steve, is that she left different but she didn't know Anything else had changed. She still didn't have a son. She still believed her womb was closed, but for some reason there was a shift in her, and now she has peace inside of her. How do you know this, preacher? Because if you read the text, it says she went home and did something she hadn't did for days. She ate, and the, and the Bible says that her face was no longer long. Because now she has put her trust in God. Regardless if my circumstances change, I know you're able to deliver me. And I got proof for you coming a little later. She said, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. And right now I don't see how it's going to happen. But Listen, church. Here's the proof that Hannah now was changed forever. That's why I want you to go home and read the first chapter of Samuel and the second chapter. You'll find Hannah praying again in chapter two, but it's a much different prayer this time. Watch this. Hannah is praying and she says this, my heart, Rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord, there is none beside you. She said, This there is no rock. Like our God. Oh, that's much different than the first time she prayed. Because she found out that God was faithful because later on, her husband lays with her. And guess what? She gets pregnant with a son. And when that son was old enough, his name was Samuel. She kept her vow to God and took him to the tabernacle, to the priest. And said, he's yours. He's God's. And so Hannah learned. So what did Hannah learn in her suffering? What can we learn from Hannah's story? Watch this. What did Hannah learn about God in her suffering? She learned to depend on him. What did she learn, Stacy? What did she learn about his relationship to her. She learned that he listened to her prayers. What did that prove to her about God? That he loved her and that he was interested in every detail in her life, that he accepted her, and she experienced his power and his faithfulness, and she learned that her joy was in God and God alone. That was what her song was all about. She said, I rejoice in the law. See, we as people focus on things and we miss the whole point that only God can feel our hearts with permanent joy and Hannah found it and you can find it. I love the fact that Hannah had made a decision and it didn't matter what anybody else thought. She said in a heart, I'm tired of hating on Pahenna. I'm tired of being miserable and sorrowful in my spirit. I want my life to be different. And she knew that the only person who could create that permanent change is God. And that invitation is still available today. you would just let go and let God for his glory and his honor. Not my personal wealth, not my bank account, not my reputation in the community, but God, when folks see what you do for me, I'll tell them about you. I will give you glory I will give you honor all the days of my life. And focus on, you know what's Something different about you. What changed in your life? My relationship to him. Let me tell you what God did for me. How he delivered me and set me free. <laughs> I was as low as a person can get I was talked about, I was criticized, I lost everything I had. I felt like a failure. I fought with everything that was in me. And I couldn't make a change. Please hear me. God wants to rescue you. He wants to deliver you. And most of all, he wants the glory and honor from your life. So as the band comes, know that the church doors are open to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You can come down to the altar by yourself and get ugly before the Lord and he'll meet you there. He'll meet you at your need. He will enter the depths of your sorrow and your grief and turn your situation around. I don't know about you Stephanie but that's good news that's good news that this 50 pound block I've been carrying on my shoulders I can come and leave it right here and go back to my seat 50 pounds lighter you can do it right there you know it's something about <laughs> Hannah's prayer When David was in a state of sorrow and despair and distress, he would say all kind of stuff to God. If you read the book of Job, when Job had lost everything, he said all kind of stuff to God. And guess what? It didn't upset God at all. But he came to show them that he is a God of love and restoration. He's that same God. And so David found out in the Psalms, he would start out displaying his heart, his grief and stress, but by the time you come to the end of the Psalm, you'll find him in praise and celebration of God, being the God of deliverance. Won't you celebrate him today? Won't you allow him into your heart and into your life?